Shaking the Nickel Bush by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1962. Chapter 17, Ladies Man Lonnie. Lord God, I give you thanks for giving us responsibility to serve and to help and to grow, uh, um, to love others, uh, that while we're on this earth, um, you have given us so much. We get to be stewards of, of all that belongs to you and to uh, take care of all the talents for your glory that we might give a good answer when you return or when we get to see you, Lord God. And we thank you that we have this day to walk and serve on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the cuff of my Levi's was empty when we left El Paso, and the roll of bills in my pocket was just about as big around as my thumb. But I thought I'd learned one lesson I'd never forget. Big cities were places to go broke in, not to make money in, particularly since Lonnie had become a Beau Brumel and ladies' man. It had cost me $5 a day spending money just to keep him out from under my feet. I'd foolishly established the rate that first day in Lordsburg when I'd given him the five by mistake. And once he ascended to that standard of living, I couldn't cut him down without breaking both his pride and his heart. I had another lesson to learn, and it didn't take me long to learn it. Isolated towns weren't too good for my new business either. The smaller the town, so long as it had a banker, the surer I was of getting a job. But if I took them one at a time, I'd be all winter and rebuilding the treasury in my cuff of my Levi's. From constant working with clay day after day, my eye had come sharp enough and my fingers deft enough that I could knock out any ordinary model in five or six hours. But even though I was lucky enough to have bright sunshine and a dry breeze, it required at least two days, uh, two more days for the mold and casting to dry enough that I could finish the job. Worse still, there was nothing for us to do except to clean our saddles, practice throwing our ropes, or something like that while we were waiting for the plaster to dry. I made the mistake of doing an isolated job like that at the first town we struck north of El Paso. After his week of high living in the city, Lonnie was a pest. We were still within an hour's drive of El Paso, so he thought I should give him a fiver every day and let him go back to entertain his girlfriends. Of course, I wouldn't, and I tried to ignore his pestering while I was shaping up the clay model but it finally got on my nerves and I lost my temper. Your trouble is that you need work, and if I hear any more of this pestering, you're going to get it, I told him crossly. I'll sell shiftless and take in some some old rattle trap and trade, and then you'll have something to keep you out of my hair. Lonnie couldn't have been any more shocked and bewildered if he'd been listening to a judge pronounce his death sentence. Jeepers creepers, buddy, he whispered. You want to do nothing like that. She's our... She's our, our nothing, I told him. She's my flivver, and I'll do whatever I please with her. Since we struck Lordsburg, you've blown in more than $60 playing big shot and ladies' man. I'm not squawking about the money. You had it coming to you, but I am squawking about your blowing it on the dames. It was your money. I wasn't going to tell you you could do it. But I wasn't going to tell you what you could do with it. But if you'd turned part of it on shiftless, you could say our flivver. As it is, you've nothing to say about what happens to her. Lonnie didn't get right down on his knees, but I was afraid he was going to. Honest, buddy, honest, he told me. I'd have turned every dime of it in if you had said the word. Look, buddy, look, I'll get me a job washing dishes or anything. Honest, buddy, I ain't going to ask you for another dime out of the business. Nothing for, not for nothing, even makings. Look, buddy, give me just one more week, will you? I'll promise you I'll. Nobody could have stayed mad at Lonnie long. 
I least of all. Okay, I told him, I won't sell her till you start pestering again. But the minute you do, she's a goner. Why don't you go for a good long walk? This would be a cracking good day for a hike. Lonnie took off as though he were afraid I'd changed my mind again. And when I went back to work on the model, I couldn't help feeling sorry for the way I jawed at him. A walk for Lonnie would be just about as entertaining as pounding mud into a rat hole. And with all his talk about getting a job, how could he if we were going to keep running around from town to town while I hunted out bankers who would be flattered to have a marble-like bust of what I thought they might have looked like in their youth? Although I'm sure Lonnie spent most of the day sitting in the shade of some bush, not more than half a mile from camp, he didn't come back till late afternoon, just soon enough to drive me into town for my client's okay on the clay model. But by that time, I'd had a chance to do some considerable thinking, and on the way back, I told him, we're going back to doing our business the way we did it in that little canyon west of Safford. We'll make camp at some place where there are at least half a dozen towns within 25 or 30 miles. Then we'll spend a day getting jobs, and I'll have customers bring their pictures to camp and come back for the finished bus. And that way, I'll have clay models to work on while the plaster molds and castings are drying. And if we can get orders enough, I'll turn, I could turn out one a day. Your part of the business will be to tent camp, do all the cooking except the gluten bread, and to drive me wherever I have to go. Then you'll get five bucks from each job. You can pay half the gas and grub bill and do whatever you like with the rest of it. Is that a fair deal? Lonnie nearly let Shiftless run off the road as he hugged me and as he, as he hugged an arm around my neck and told me I was his buddy. But I couldn't help feeling guilty, for he thought we were going straight 50-50. I never told him I got more than $10 for a bust and I didn't have any intention of letting him find it out. If I did, and we split even, he'd only spend the money on girls, then we'd go broke in the bo if the bottom should fall out of our business. Of course, I hadn't told Lonnie on my plans, but there was no need of that. No one had to tell me that we'd been lucky in the area around Safford. There, I hadn't had to do any selling at all. Mabel had started the ball rolling for me, then one banker had told another, and all I'd done was to visit with my clients when they came to see me, collect $25 and a tintype from each one, show him the model the clay model when it was ready and delivered the plaster bust when he came back for it. I couldn't ex expect that sort of luck everywhere we went. And I couldn't expect bankers to fork over $25 before they'd seen my work, no matter how many letters of recommendation I might show them. I'd have to have a sample of my work to show and I'd have to tell them there would be no payment unless required unless they were well pleased with the finished marble-like bust. There would be some risk that a finished piece might be refused, but I felt I could afford to take it for I never made a likeness that didn't please my client. Even if I did have one or two finished busts refused, the lost time would be much more than made up by that saved in travel. The thing that bothered me most was what I'd use for a sample. The first time I'd used a little horse's head, but it didn't seem like a good plan to show a banker a horse's head and tell him, I can make one just like that of you. It wasn't until I began putting the mold plaster on the model that I'd made that day that I got the right idea. I just put the first couple of flecks over the eyes and ears when Buddy, when Lonnie came hurrying toward me calling, Oh, Buddy, leave me sling some of it on that old buzzard. I ain't had a chance to sock one of them since we left Safford. He socked to beat the band, and his face lit up like a sunrise as he wanged on one handful after another. I just watched his expression and let him keep right on until there wasn't a speck of clay showing. And by that time, I knew I had just the right model for my sample. That is, if I could catch that expression a few more times, I was able to work it into the clay. During the time we'd been in town, Lonnie had seldom 
got up before 10 o'clock, but the next morning he was up by sunrise. He had a fire built and the coffee water on to boil before I was up. And for the first time since I'd known him, he washed the breakfast dishes. I didn't offer to help, but set an armature up in Shiflis's shadow, got out a big lump of clay and worked it pliable and began blocking out a head and face. After Lonnie had finished with the dishes, he spent an hour polishing Shiflis, but being careful not to get in my way. Then he began scouting around through the brush and lugging in armfuls of firewood. By 10 o'clock, he had as much as we could have used in a week. He knew it as well as I did, but he was so anxious to show me he was carrying out his end of our deal that he kept right on lugging. I didn't even look up when he passed me with an armful of wood. I didn't need to. I knew his face so well that I could almost have made a model of it with my eyes closed, and he didn't pay any attention to what I was doing either until I'd gone about as far as I could without him. Then he called, Jeepers, buddy, I didn't know you had another job, Ed. Where'd you get it? I found it last night. I called back. Come on over here. When Lonnie came over to see what I wanted, I told him, You're working too hard, buddy boy. Sit down and rest yourself a while. I just had a bright idea, and we can talk about it while I'm fiddling with this thing. I knew better than to let him see the face I was working on, because he'd have recognized it as his own. And I knew better than to tell him I wanted him to pose for me, because I'd get everything in the world except the animated expression I wanted. The only way I could get that would be by keeping him entirely unselfconscious and by telling him whatever was necessary to make him bubble with happiness at the time I needed it. So, as he slumped down in the shade of a bush near me, I turned the back of the model toward him and moved the box I was sitting on so I could see his face right beyond that of the model. I managed to get the animated expression every time I needed it, but sometimes I had to go nearly overboard to get it. The worst mistake I made was in telling him that if he could pay in the $85 I'd originally paid for shiftless before we reached Santa Fe, I'd have her taken out of my name entirely and registered in his. When you're busy on something like you like to do, or when you're listening to things you like to hear, hours go by as if they were minutes. When I'd started on the model that morning, I told myself I was going to make the best sample I possibly could. But I forgot all about it being a sample as soon as Lonnie came over there. It couldn't have been more than half an hour before I noticed that the clay face was beginning to come alive, as Ivan's always were. I don't know where the time went from then on. But we never thought about lunch, and the sun was way over toward the Western Mountains when I said, Take a look here, Lonnie, and see how you'd like to slink plaster in this old buzzard's face. We couldn't have had a better salesman than Lonnie's happy like this. He was so proud of it that the animated look always came back to his face whenever I had him bring it in to show a banker, and I never failed to get an order after he'd shown it. Of course, I had to work out a system where he brought his bust in, showed it, and took it back out to Shiftless. Then I went on and made my deal with the client. They were all the same. A marble-like bust made from a picture taken at any age and a payment of $25 if it was satisfactory when completed. There was only one part of my original plan that didn't work out. It wouldn't do for me to let two or more clients come to see me on the same day. I could do a good job only if I had my client come to see me in the morning, visited with him till I had every detail of his features and expression in my mind, then went right to work on the clay model while the memory was still sharp and clear in my head. I never had but one refusal, and that was when I tried to carry three likenesses in my mind at the same time. I always took the pictures, but I looked at them only enough to be sure I was right on the combing of the hair and whether or not to put on a mustache. There were a dozen towns within 30 miles of our first central camp between El Paso and Las Cruces, and there were three $50 bills in the cuff of my Levi's when we broke camp and headed on up to the Rio Grande. Besides that, Lonnie had turned in $40 toward his ownership of Shiftless, 
For the next two days, our road was on the west side of the Rio Grande, parallel to the Jornada del Melto on the east side of the river. The journey of death on the old Spanish trail. We passed through four or five towns before we reached Socorro, one of them good-sized, but we didn't stop because they were all isolated. We, didn't have, we did have a little excitement, though. About halfway through between Hot Springs and Socorro, we saw a small band of horses grazing through the brush <coughs> over toward the San Mateo Mountains. They were less than a quarter mile from the road, and Lonnie and I got the same idea at the same time. We'd had our saddles and cowhand outfits for more than two months, but had never had a minute's use of them. And with the way things were going for the cowboy artists of the Southwest, it didn't seem as if we were apt to for some time. We'd barely come inside of the horses when Lonnie let out a war whoop and shouted, Let's go ride them, buddy. One's enough for me. You ride the rest, I yelled back, and Lonnie pulled off the road. We'd been traveling in our cutoff jeans, so we had to change into our cowhand duds, but we put everything on, bandana and all. While we were changing, Lonnie told me, Remember, buddy, how we caught that old cow Christmas Day? It'll be a cinch to catch horses the same way, only easier, because this brush ain't so tall, and I can drive right on over it. If we hadn't yelled so loud when we first spied those horses, we might have had better luck with them. But by the time we changed our clothes, they drifted on another quarter mile. With me perched on the running board and lashed to a top iron, Lonnie took off across the desert with shipless bucking like a Brahma bull. He didn't turn out for anything until we were closing in behind a little band of racing horses, and I had to hold on so tight I could neither build a loop in my rope or get a decent look at the horses. When I got it, I thought for a few seconds that it was going to be my last look. <laughs> when I got it, I thought for a few seconds it was going to be my last look at anything on earth. The band took a sudden turn to the left, and Lonnie forgot he was mounted on shiftless instead of a horse. He turned her right on the heels of the frightened Mustangs. Shiftless sort of hankered down on her off forehand the way a horse will when she, he tries to make it too sharp a turn on the wrong lead. But she didn't go end over end, as a hot horse often will. She rocked toward me till I'll swear my face wasn't a foot off the ground. Then Lonnie jerked the wheel in the opposite direction as Shiftless went into a dance, about the kind a drunk might do on a pogo stick. On the first eight or ten hops, I don't believe she ever touched more than one wheel to the ground, but hanged, lunged, and tipped from side to side and front to back. By the time Lonnie got her back under control, the horses were long gone and I'd had all the bronco busting I wanted for one day. Huh, we finished our feb out February in the first half of March in two central camps, one between Socorro and Albuquerque, the other between Albuquerque and Santa Fe, and we did better than I dared to hope. The only trouble was that, skinny as I was, I nearly froze to death. We'd come far enough north and high enough that the nights were often bitter cold, and there were lots of days when my hands got, would get so numb, I'd have to stop every 10 or 15 minutes to warm them. Of course, and I couldn't work in my cutoff jeans, and I couldn't do my best work because the clay stiffened too much to handle well. I think it was a combination of the cold evenings, Lonnie's not having enough to do to keep him from being bored, and curiosity that made us into movie fans. Ever since we'd seen that movie in El Paso with the horse fall strip in it, I'd been anxious to see another, hoping I might see one with me in it. If on an evening that it was too cold for me to work, and often one on ones that weren't, we found there was going to be a cowboy and Indian picture in one of the nearby towns. We'd hide our stuff away in the brush, wind shiftless up, and go to see it. With two exceptions, I think we saw every cowboy and Indian picture that came within 50 miles of us, and those two exceptions were Albuquerque and Santa Fe. 
I learned my lesson about Lonnie in big cities when we were in El Paso. And though I had to get a bit tough a couple of times, I kept him away from both cities till I'd finished the last job in our second camp. As I'd written mother, I planned we'd be all spring on the way from El Paso to Santa Fe, and that I'd go on to Colorado from there. But while we were in our second camp, I changed my mind. There were several reasons for it. In the first place, it would be colder in Colorado than in New Mexico, and it would be too early for the spring cattle to have opened up. In the second place, I was having too much fun and making too much money to quit the plaster bust business. It seemed to me that if our luck held out and we kept away from big cities, I might have nearly $1,000 tucked away in the cuffs of my Levi's by the end of June. Then, when I went to meet Ted Hawkins and my old cowboy friends at the Littleton Roundup on the 4th of July, I wouldn't be going just as a cowhand looking for a job. There was plenty of good grazing land in Colorado that could be bought for 5 or $6 an acre, and I'd be able to start out as a small rancher with maybe a quarter section of good pasture land near the mountains and a dozen or two head of young stock. At first, I thought about taking Lonnie into partnership with me, and then I decided that might be a mistake. It would be better to sell him the idea of going back to his folks in Wyoming. I was sure I'd never, he'd never willingly give up shipless, and without the bus business, I couldn't afford to support both of them. Of course, I didn't tell Lonnie all my plans. It would only have hurt his feelings. Instead, I kept dangling the ownership of Shiftless before his eyes to keep him away from Santa Fe and Albuquerque and from spending all his share from the business on girls. I promised him, though, that we'd go into Santa Fe for just one day to register Shiftless in his name if he had her paid for, and then we'd head south again where the weather was warmer. With my having taken Lonnie to the movies nearly every evening and threatening to drive shiftless myself if he left camp without my say-so, he hadn't had much chance to blow money on the girls. Soon after we'd moved to the camp near Santa Fe, he cleaned up the last of the $85 that I promised would make shiftless his. From then on, he was as restless as a caged coyote, begging me every day to lay off so we could go to town and have the registration put into his name. I knew well enough what would happen if I did it, so I wouldn't go till the last job was finished, and even then, I made him promise that we'd leave the city without any argument after we'd spent one day in the city. When we did go, I had nearly $100 in my pocket and eight fifties folded into the cuffs of my Levi's. It didn't take much figuring for me to know that Lonnie had a pocket roll almost as big as mine. If he'd swiped as many chickens as I suspected, his share of the gas and grub bill hadn't been more than $10 for all the time since we'd left El Paso. It was early in the forenoon when we drove into Santa Fe, but Lonnie insisted on going straight to the motor vehicle office and having Shiftless registered in his name. The minute the clerk gave him the ownership paper, he forgot that he wasn't a millionaire. While I was registering at the hotel desk, he tipped one bellboy a dollar to lug our stuff up to the room and gave another dollar to have his suit pressed in a hurry. By the time I got upstairs, he had shucked off his shirt and Levi's had left them where they had fallen and was taking a bath. He called to me above the splashing. Listen, buddy, I aim to keep that promise I made you, but you know a day don't end till midnight. Yes, I know, I called back, but you'll be broke long before supper time, and don't come trying to borrow from me because I'm not going to lend you a dime. If you had a thousand dollars, you'd blow it on the floozies in a couple of hours. You're wrong, buddy. You're dead wrong, he shouted. Ain't you took note how I've been saving my dough lately? This time I don't aim to spend more in a fiver. Just ride around a little to look the town over and maybe take in a movie. I'll have old Shiftless waiting outside the front door at straight up midnight. Is that fair enough? Fair enough, I told him. 
but don't wait for me down there. I'll be sleeping. All I care about is getting away early tomorrow morning. While Lonnie was getting dressed and away, I sent my own suit down to be pressed, then hung up the clothes he'd shed and straightened up the stuff the bellboy had dumped in the middle of the floor. I put our bedrolls in a far corner, laid the saddles and outfits on top of them, then set my armatures, supplies, and toolbox at one side. When my suit came back, I changed into it, put the loose change and small bills in my pocket, and hung my Levi's in the closet beside Lonnie's. Even by feeling of the cuffs, no one would have guessed that mine were as empty as his. That mine weren't as empty as his. It was a warm, sunny forenoon, so I went out to order an additional supply of clay and plaster of Paris, then wandered around the streets sort of aimlessly. And just by chance, I found the post office. Since I'd written mother that I wouldn't reach Santa Fe till late spring, I didn't expect to find a letter waiting for me at the general delivery. But there was one there. If I'd used my head, I'd have known there would be. That Dr. Gagan would have known where I was every week by the report cards from doctors I had gone to for checkups, and that he'd have told her. He had, and she was worried sick. She'd wrote that she was afraid I'd lost my good job with the big cattle company, or that I'd had to quit because of my health. She was frightened because I'd slipped to 101 pounds instead of gaining, and she was even more frightened because I'd sent $60 home at the end of February. She said she must insist on a full and honest explanation as to how I was getting hold of any such large sums of money. I'd written mother so many lies that I wasn't sure I could remember them all. So when I sent her the 50 and 10 at the end of February, I'd written a very short note just saying I was feeling fine, that the weather was nice, and asking about each one at home. Then I'd crossed the river and mailed the letter from Veguita, a little town about 30 miles north of Socorro, and so small I was sure she wouldn't be able to find it on a map. Before answering the letter, I took it back to our room and thought about it for a while. It was certain that Mother was already suspicious about what I'd been writing her. But if I should come a quarter of an inch nearer the truth, she'd be even more suspicious. There was nothing to do except to make up some more fairy tales. But I tried to make them sound as reasonable as I could. After a few paragraphs about the great confidence our bosses had in my working partner Alonzo and me, I wrote that we'd been sent ahead of the herd again to buy more cattle. And the extra money was from bonuses we were getting we were being paid when we were exceptionally fine bargains in our buying. When we made exceptionally fine bargains in our buying. Near the end of the letter I said that our bosses' only disappointment was with the scarcity of good cattle, that they wanted to gather a much larger herd, so we're sending us back into southeastern New Mexico to do more buying. I didn't dare put any money in that letter, but said I'd write again when I got my paycheck at the end of the month, adding that I had hopes of a real good bonus at that time. But there wasn't much to do after I'd written the letter, so I spent the afternoon around the plaza looking through old buildings that still remained from the early Spanish days. I'd just come out of the museum late in the afternoon when I caught a glimpse of Shiftless. Lonnie was tooling her through the plaza as proudly as if she'd been a Rolls Royce. He had a gaily dressed black-haired senorita beside him and two more on the back seat. They were all laughing and merry, but didn't seem a bit rough or coarse. After I found a restaurant with food I could eat, I went to a movie and didn't get back to the hotel until nearly midnight. But Lonnie had been there ahead of me. His saddle and outfit were gone from the top of his bedroll, but everything else was just as I left it. I don't know when he sneaked in, but he was asleep in a chair when I woke up the next morning. I let him sleep till I was shaved and dressed. Then, when I shook him awake, he looked up sheepishly and said, Honest, buddy, I didn't. Never mind the excuses, I cut in. Just get your, into your old duds and lug this stuff down to shiftless. But you'd better give me the pawn ticket before you change. I'll redeem 
your saddle and outfit on our way out of town. You might have been able to tell that I did this chapter in two different parts. It's a long chapter, and there are a lot of pieces that come up in it that make me think about um, Ralph and his patience with Lonnie, but Lonnie's uh, unwillingness to um, to be patient about spending his money. So that's one of the things that we know is true, is, is someone who does not think carefully with wisdom about how they spend their funds, it will certainly be gone very soon. But the one who saves wisely will have money to spend later when they need it if, um, if they are able to set it aside. So doesn't mean it will be there. It's just more likely because it's not gone on little things that, that only last for one day. I love you. Goodbye.